3: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Mannix.
1: He's employed by Sports Illustrated.
4: The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. you have a problem with it, build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only Oh, thank God. Thank
1: God. Chris Mannix.
4: All right, welcome back to the podcast. Glad you could join us this week. A lot going on in the NBA world. A little bit going on in college basketball as well, so I thought this would be a perfect time to bring in Jeremy Wu, NBA uh, reporter over SI.com. NBA draft analyst as well. So he's got all the information on you know, what's going on in the world of college basketball. A big name under suspension. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Jeremy, what's up,
5: man? Hey, man. Just, uh, you know, a lot going on with the season actually starting. It's great. Um, the basketball is not necessarily good to watch over in the college world, but uh, it's 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 something different. Uh, so, you know, between that and the NBA, it's just juggling
4: is is basketball ever good in the college world i mean i i love college basketball and the tournament and all that stuff but it's like 90 percent of the time it's terrible basketball i mean it just the shooting percentages are awful the shot selection is gross i mean I think that's something that doesn't get discussed enough. Just how bad college basketball is in terms of how it's played.
5: Yeah, man, it's funny. Like I have so many good memories of watching just college basketball as a kid and players who I thought were great and things I remember. Uh, and now I watch and it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like the emperor's new clothes. I I see it for what it is. Uh, and it's funny. I'm on Twitter at night and I'm looking at you. You know, everyone talking about on Twitter about how the NBA is unwatchable with the coaches' challenges and. You know, all the stoppages. And I'm like, man, you guys do not watch college basketball. It's like, welcome to my world. Like, this is every day. So,
4: <laughs> and anyway, exactly. I still I like my job. The, I
5: still yeah. like basketball, but, you know, you gotta have a high yeah, tolerance. I mean,
4: <laughs> I think that doesn't like the, the biggest factor in all that is the one done and done and guys coming out early, right? I mean, you go back to like the 1990s and. You know, Christian Laettner was staying in college, you know, forever. You know, even even the Fab Five guys went at least two years. Yeah. You know, th- nowadays, those guys would be easy one and done, Most yeah. of them, anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's just just what it is, right? Mm-hmm. They just don't have enough enough time to develop their skills in college. Yeah.
5: You're siphoning off talent to the NBA, so you you lose just that appeal, and, and then also just the continuity factor. I think those two things. Uh, nothing you can really necessarily do about it, uh, but um, I, I think those are two definitely two of the things that have contributed to it
4: before i we dive into the nba what do you think what's your opinion on the the seeming inevitability of the one and done rule going away i know that's quieted down in the last you know 6 months or so as they they try to negotiate all that but i think eventually it's going to go away you know adam silver's not not as dead set on you know f- making or or keeping high schoolers out of the nba as david stern was is that a good thing for college basketball forget the nba side of it i mean I think there's mixed arguments to be made there, but for college basketball, having these one and done guys, having that rule taken away, I mean, how does that affect it? How do you think it will affect it?
5: Yeah, it's happening. Uh, it's it's definitely happening. You know, I, from what I understand, I mean, Silver wants it. It's, you know, he's been the guy pushing for it, and you know that tends to, at some point, come to re- resolution, right? But you know, there will be less star power. Um, you know, there won't be. You know, if anyone has ever on the Zion level of hype, I mean, the odds are that guy's not going to go to college, so I think the marketability of the game, the college game, it's hurt a little bit, but hey, I mean, these kids need to be able to profit, too, so you know, there's two ways to look at it, right? But you know, at the, at the same time, I I think that the guys who do end up in college, it's not going to, that won't change too much, and you know, the coaches who are you know, smart and creative recruiters and who understand how to really uh, you know, actually get more out of their players, I mean, those are the guys who are going to benefit. Uh, I think the staffs who have relied on Uh, you know, a lot of time on just having talent, you know, that's going to be more challenging. And I think, uh, you know, sports always change and there's always big changes that come when we always anticipate huge things. And in reality, you know, I I think the quality of the game is going to be similar, Um, but just you won't have the same punchy storylines. Right. But at the same time, Duke's still Duke and, you know, Carolina's still Carolina. And when those teams play, people are still going to care, I think.
4: Yeah, I, I think people are still going to root for the laundry and it'll, it'll be fine there, but yeah, uh, college football, I'm interested see how care. it all plays right. out. We're going to talk more about the top level of college basketball a little bit later on. James Weissman, some interesting news there. I want to get your thoughts on how that uh, how suspension is going to affect his NBA draft stock. But the biggest story, Jeremy, in the NBA right now is the Los Angeles Lakers. L.A., as we speak, an NBA best 12-2, and two. LeBron James, Probably playing the best two-way basketball I've seen him play since he was a member of the Heat, maybe. And every bet the Lakers have made this off-season, from Frank Vogel being named head coach to Dwight Howard who signed that non-guaranteed contract, he's been excellent for them in the first, uh, you know, what do you call it, one-fifth of the season. They all seem to be paying off. Um, What do you, what do you read from this Lakers start? We know the schedule's been a little on the lighter side to start the season, but it's pretty impressive to see them jump out the gate and playing this kind of two-way basketball.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the main thing that I just keep coming back to whenever I watch them is just how hard LeBron was chilling last season. Like, you know, he clearly had a lot in the tank. He clearly was, you know, making sure he had something left uh, for, you know, when when the Lakers got competitive. Uh, I think it's pretty hard to argue that that he wasn't, uh, (laughs) you know, conserving his body and, hey, you know, uh, I think that's paying off. I think you're seeing that. Uh, obviously, you know, the chemistry is pretty easy with him and Anthony Davis. Uh, their skill sets are very complementary. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you do look at the schedule. They haven't been pushed too hard. Um, I mean, you know, their losses, Toronto and the Clippers, two good teams, and they, they had the great game against uh, Dallas that went to overtime that could have gone both ways uh, up until then. So, uh, you know, I, I think de- definitely we have to take them very seriously. Uh, I think they have gelled quicker than anyone thought they would um the schedule is conducive to that uh but it doesn't mean it's any less real right so i will be interested to see what happens uh you know they have uh you know the more more games coming up against the better west teams that they haven't played yet uh and it's going to be an interesting you know you, lebron his team always evolve over the course of five months right and there's always multiple phases and this is just the first phase so
4: yeah i think uh i think based on the schedule you have to wait until at least christmas to see to really get a read on what this Lakers team is and what they what they might be able to be. All that being said, I mean, you know, LeBron has been otherworldly. I mean, he is if he's not the MVP, he's in that top 3 right now, probably the MVP as we speak. Uh Davis has been as advertised with that group on both sides, averaging like 25 a game and you know, probably among the front runners to win defensive player of the year as he wanted to do. And this was something that guy set out to do at the start of the season. Uh Kuzma's back now and you know, he's performing. And, and look, they're getting what they need to get out of Dwight, who has accepted that role, giving them like 20 minutes per game, good defense, shot blocking. Uh, I think Danny Green can play even better. I mean, he's been he's been good, but I think he can be even better with this group, um, shooting right around 42% from, from three-point range. The, the question I have, though, is how sustainable is this physically on their top guys? And by that, I mean LeBron specifically. I mean, we, we kind of – rip the whole load management stuff when it comes to Kawhi Leonard. If I'm the Lakers, I gotta be thinking load management at some point with LeBron James, don't I? I mean, he's in his mid-thirties right now. He's he's playing great, but he's also playing what, like 35 minutes per game? I mean, I don't know how that holds up without, you know, taking, you know, the occasional or maybe the frequent back to backs off. And I still get a little concerned when Anthony Davis talks about a sore shoulder. I mean, this is a guy that's been injured in the past um, you know does he need to be on some kind of load management schedule so I think for Frank Vogel I, that's going to be something worth watching and monitoring like how how much can you play these guys without wearing them down when it comes April I mean that's that's when it all matters I mean it's great to be 12 and two to start the season but you got to have these guys playing exactly this way in April to win an NBA championship and I'd be wary of that and these guys are on the older side I mean especially obviously LeBron, I'd be I'd be concerned I guess that that
5: maybe they run out of gas by the time we get to the end of the season. I think it absolutely has to be on their minds. Uh, Davis's shoulder worries me a little bit too. Every time I watch, I feel like he's grabbing at it uh, once or twice a game, and you know he's playing through it, and it seems like it's improving. Uh, and his production has been fine. His rebounds have been you know a little down I think since that has started bothering him. But um, I, I would expect and look if, if they're twelve and two, um, I think as good as they are, they probably don't necessarily need to play for first in the West. So, you know, the hope for them would be that they're at a point once we get to maybe January, February, where they can start, you know, giving guys a break. Um, the reason why it's harder to do for them is, is just their team is just so intrinsically constructed around those two guys that it's kind of hard to – you know, it's not the same thing as even Toronto last year with Kawhi. There was at least a group that was going to compete, and they had ways to be effective when he's not on the floor, different guys they can play through. Um, but, you know, here, if – you know, you can really only sit one of those guys at a time and um, you absolutely can't sit both, right, and expect to win a game with with this group. and it, So it does point to sort of the structural issues with the roster. Uh, and so, yeah, you're right. I mean, I do wonder if it does come back to bite them just how how thin they are with respect to, you know, being able to sit these guys. Um, but we have no way of knowing. I mean, it's going to be an ongoing, ongoing now, trend.
4: Yeah, I mean, look, load management has become like this, like, curse word or curse words really I mean it's just the the, how people are so bothered by load management I get if you're a ticket holder and you buy a ticket to see Kawhi Leonard play in Oklahoma City you know you're upset like you didn't you're paying for that and and you get bothered by and I get that but if you're a team who what do you care like who gives a damn like I you feel bad you say it publicly but privately like screw that like I want my guy to be 100% in the playoffs. And whether people like it or not, Kawhi Leonard has a real injury. Kawhi Leonard is going to have to watch how many games he plays probably for the rest of his career. That injury that cost him all but nine games of, what was it, the 17-18 season, that's real. Like, that is something that's going to linger and is lingering with him. So when he sits out backs-to-backs, it's all about getting him ready for the playoffs when he showed exactly what he can do when you put him on a load management schedule. I mean, I I'm kind of amused by all like the scoffing that goes on from some players about, you know, taking time off and and having their 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 minutes managed over the course of a season. It's proven to work. Like it worked for the Toronto Raptors. Why wouldn't you if you have an older player or even a guy in his prime like a James Harden? Why wouldn't you give him more time off? I'm with you on the the Lakers not needing to go for number 1. It was a few years ago that what were the Cavaliers, like the four seed, and they made it back to the finals? Like a LeBron James coach team, or a LeBron James led team, I should say, does not need to be the number one seed. Get him into the playoffs at as close to possible as 100%, and you will have success. That's all that matters with that. I, I If I'm the Lakers and LeBron, I don't care if he's fully healthy, no more than 70 games this year. I'd sit him out for 12 for rest at least to
5: get him right for the playoffs. And particularly, you know, if you if we do end up kind of looking at A likelihood of Lakers Clippers at some point like that's not going to matter who has the home field right I mean like or home court Uh, you know I mean the Lakers fans are going to show up to Clippers games and and all that so uh, yeah I'm with you I mean mean, the load load management thing I think I've just sort of been conditioned now to accept it um, just from you know how much time and you probably feel the same way just how much time we spent I guess around Basketball, it's just—I mean, we get the way that the, the thought—the thought process works there. But you know, I, I think with some players, it's probably a macho thing too. It's like, you know, I'm the Iron Man; I want to play every game. I, it's maybe a dated way of thinking about it, but I, I guess I understand why some guys feel that way. Um, but there are too many games. It's a—it's a crazy season. It's a crazy schedule. Um, there's so much travel, and I think the science—I think we talked about this. I mean, the, the science points to—you know—there's too many games, and these guys are wearing down. So. I don't have a problem with it, Uh, but again, I I think I just am a little bit biased, just from my perspective too. Um, But I get, I get it, and I think the Lakers will have to think about it.
4: For all the people out there that are like reduce the number of games, players want it, owners want it. Nobody wants to give money back. Like that's the big thing, you know. So as long as everybody digs in their heels and say, "Well, you got to," you know. Give back X million dollars or even billion dollars, whatever it is, over the course of a television deal. You're not going to see the schedule get reduced from 82 games uh, anytime soon. So you know we'll see we'll see how that all works out. If the the team that does load manage like the Clippers winds up in a better place than the Lakers at the end of the season.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss.
2: On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
4: All right, so you take a look in the mirror every day. You probably think you're looking pretty good. I usually do anyway. You're doing everything right for your health today, but if you're not planning for the what ifs of tomorrow, then it's time you do. The problem is, historically, and rather ironically, the health conscious have overpaid and subsidized those who are less health conscious. It's not about a conspiracy, it's just how life insurance works. Introducing Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you on their life insurance. If you're a runner or a cyclist or if you're a CrossFit or another type of athlete, even if you're a committed weekend warrior, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, then you deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. Health IQ can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risk for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. And Health IQ is not just a lead generator. They take the customer through the entire process of applying, and the policy is underwritten by one of our top insurance partners. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get a special rate. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com slash manix to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending upon your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% in your health insurance premium compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com slash to let them know we sent you and start the process with the Health IQ quiz. There's no commitment, and you'll learn even more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living healthy. One more time, that's healthiq.com/slash-manix. All right, let's talk about the other big story this past week. Carmelo Anthony out of basketball purgatory, and he signs uh, with the uh, with the Portland Trailblazers. The Trailblazers, of course, a team that's pretty desperate at this point. They're five and eleven right now. Uh, second worst record as we speak in the Western Conference. Carmelo comes in, he plays in the New Orleans game, he plays in the Milwaukee game, and they lost both. And I don't think you can blame Carmelo Anthony because the loss was a continuation of a season-long trend in Portland that they don't defend anybody. They gave up 115 points to the Pelicans, 137 points to the Milwaukee Bucks. They're, They're finding ways to score. I mean, they had 104 against New Orleans, 129 against Milwaukee. We remember Early in the season, when they uh, when they had like 124 against Atlanta, they put up some big numbers offensively, but defensively, they're just not getting the job done. What, what what should the panic level be in Portland? And what do you make of the decision to bring in Carmelo Anthony at this stage of the uh, of
5: the year? Yeah, I mean, I think Carmelo, I mean, is a human a human panic button at this point, right? I mean, n- look, he, he just defensively, he is so bad, and there's there's no way around it. Um, I'm glad for him that he's back. And it's, it's good to see, you know, him on the court and not out of the league. But at the same time, uh, you know, if he was really the best solution – and granted, it's a non-guaranteed deal. You know, who knows how long uh, they play this out. But just, you know, from watching his first couple games, it's just, you know, the, not going to add anything on defense. He can still shoot. The shot selection is still not great. And uh, you know, this is just a structural issue with Portland that I think was an issue coming into the season um, where, you know, they tried to patchwork – both forward spots, but you know in the NBA, I just particularly right now it's so hard to to win consistently if you can't defend at both forward spots. Uh, you know, at least one one of your forwards has to be able to guard. Uh, if two great, one okay, it, but if neither of those guys is, you know, if you can't contain opposing wings, because it's just that's where so much of the damage comes from against the better teams too. I mean, you know, I mean those are the best players in the league. I mean, you look at the Clippers, you look at LeBron. I mean, these guys have bigger forwards who can score. You got to have guys who can, you know, deal with those types of Components and, you know, Portland has tried to patchwork that together. I mean, Bazemore wasn't the solution. Rodney Hood is still there. Carmelo doesn't really help that at all, right? So uh, you know, as long as they're trying to cobble together minutes from from Carmelo and Nasir Little, who's, a, you know, a rookie who can't you know, has been okay, but uh his own, yeah I mean these are these are not guys that you're gonna see contributing to a playoff playoff team, uh in most cases, right? So I don't know if there's a trade they can swing, but they, they're they kind of saddled up now with, with Whiteside. Um, you know, Zach Collins is just a huge blow for them losing him. Um, so so I don't know what the solution is unless Lillard can really just carry them the whole way, and, you know, he's banged up too. So uh, it's not great. I, I can't say I feel good.
4: No, and you mentioned Whiteside. He has not been the answer there. And, you know, before you get, I get too critical of the Blazers, it, it should be, of course, noted that they might look differently if – Yusuf Nurkic was healthy. I mean, he was a big part of what they did in the regular season last year. Zach Collins, he's out for a few months with that shoulder injury. Uh, he was a big part of what they did in the playoffs last year. I mean, that guy was starting to really come on as kind of this combination forward center, you know, shooting, gave him a lot on both ends of the floor. So, that certainly plays a role in it. But I found it almost hilarious that they signed Carmelo Anthony who hasn't played in like a year. And immediately start him. Like, they plug him into the starting lineup. But I know that the the argument is that Carmelo's an isolation-type player and the Blazers play a lot of isolation. But damn, like, they're just bringing this guy in off the street and putting him into the starting lineup. That, was, that, that, to me, signaled where the panic level is in Portland. If you sign him and plug him into that starting lineup after not playing basketball more than, what, 10 games uh, in this past season. So that's number one. Number two, and I said this over the summer, and look, to me it resonates even more true right now. I didn't agree with the decision to extend Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. I think individually, those are two great players, but they tied themselves, those two guys, for like the next five years, give or take. That that to me was questionable, and they did it largely because they made a great run in the playoffs last year. It wasn't that long ago, Jeremy, where we were talking about should they break that team up? I mean, had they plateaued with those two guys in the backcourt? It was C.J. McCollum being traded for Kevin Love or C.J. McCollum was always C.J. McCollum getting traded, but it was McCollum for somebody else. There was a lot of talk over the last couple of years prior to the playoff run last season that that group could be broken up, and now in the offseason, they double down on them. Now, it's great in a smallish market to have guys signed to long-term contracts, but if, if you're not going to be an elite-level team... I don't know what the point of it all is. Like, is it? Are you just signing, putting a team together to be a playoff team? You're not giving yourself a lot of flexibility financially. I thought that was, I thought that was a questionable decision at the time to extend those guys. And now,
5: as I'm watching them struggle, it it seems maybe even more questionable. Yeah, you know, I think the thing that worries me, or or maybe not. I mean, look, I I think paying them made sense to on a level. um, I think you know the, if they need to trade one of them it won't be impossible um and from an optics perspective i get why you kept both but but the, i i think the you know the the reality is that any time i mean how, how, how hard is it for any team to be competitive for a 5 year span period right and and so they're extending these guys for so long they're going to be ups and downs um you know, maybe they were prepared you know to have some type of step backward this year i mean uh i, I think that also has to be and look you you have baysmore coming off uh off the cap cap sheet next year you have wide sides money coming off so that that's money that you know next year they will be able to reallocate. Uh, I don't think it's like a lost cause I, I think it would be wrong to be like we paid these guys and now we're just gonna panic right like I don't know if that makes sense um but they're they're gonna have to find a pathway to restructuring this roster in a way that can be sustainable defensively you know any, anytime you're building around two two guards who really score uh, you know but aren't, aren't you know they don't have the size th- those two guys so it's you know it's a structural thing and they will have to address it. Whether I don't know what they can do via trade this year, uh, you know, if Nurkic gets healthy next year without Whiteside, they'll be in a much better spot. You know, they'll be able to use that money creatively. Um, but you know, it's just it's unfortunate, obviously, to to have this bump in the road. But again, if they intend on being a team that kind of sustains itself like a San Antonio, you know, there are going to be years where it's it's not the same. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think Portland fans have to, be, have to be prepared for you know they miss the playoffs and then look towards next year. I think that's probably if this keeps trending this way, it's what's going to happen.
4: Yeah, and that's that would set up a enormous offseason next summer to bring in guys that could complement Lillard and McCollum. I think part of the problem is, though. I mean, who who are those guys? I mean, it's not a great free agent class outside of the restricted group in the summer of 2020. I mean, you know, Aaron Baines probably doesn't do anything for you. I mean, some of these other guys are are good, but I don't know how much of the needle they move. Uh, they're going to need in you know, and, and we've said this about this team in the past. They'll need a lot of internal growth, and that means Zach Collins coming back healthy and taking that step forward that we thought he might take this year. That means Nurkic, you know, I, Nurkic is another guy. Like I, that was a pretty catastrophic injury he suffered, mm-hmm. and how long does it take him to find his groove after suffering an injury like that? So I think you have to look internally as much as externally to find some of the uh, some of the help there. And I look, I'm with you. You can still push comes to shove, you can still trade McCollum um, you know, for something down the line. He still is an incredibly valuable guy, young guy, uh, and does a lot of great things. All-star caliber player at that position. I just, It was just interesting to me just because we, we weren't that far removed from saying like, all right, this Blazers team is, has accomplished what it accomplished. It was a first round exit team for a couple of years, and they make one run to the conference finals, and we're all kind of assuming that and it looked like the Blazers bought all the way in into those two guys being foundation pieces for the future. That's what I just found interesting about this offseason.
5: Yeah, and if if I have one more critique of the Blazers, it would just be, I I think that you look at what's happened to them, I think reasonably you could say that their front office may probably should have had a little bit more foresight in the sense that, look, they're using their two-way contracts on, uh, you know, I mean, you look around the league, I mean, the the two-ways can be used to really fill minutes, and right now... Uh, you know, it would be nice to have someone playable on a two-way for them, right? But they have Jalen Horde and they have Moses Brown. These are two guys who left college, year, early, uh, you know, freshmen who left college, didn't get drafted. are uh, you know, projects, uh, whether they are good or bad projects, isn't really the point. The point is that they don't have guys who can immediately help them in those spots. And I, I think that's one thing you've seen now, too, is the wells kind of drying up for guys you can just pull out of the G League that are ready. Because uh, teams are using those two-way spots more creatively and they're, you know, finding guys who can help at least give you some minutes, right? So, uh portland being a team that doesn't have a g league affiliate uh you know they've been behind the ball on that they haven't really wanted that um but you know just i I think that it's fair to at least make that critique where hey guys you know maybe this is why that's valuable Uh, and i'm they're going to get a team eventually because everyone's going to have one um but it would be nice to have some type of you know affiliate to draw from uh and someone you could plug in right
4: yeah yeah i'm with you there
3: And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
4: Today's episode of the Crossover NBA Podcast is brought to you by CBS Sports HQ, the brand new streaming sports news network. It's live 24-7 and costs you nothing. That's right, it's sports coverage that's always on and always free. I have CBS Sports HQ on my phone. I check it out at least two or three times a day to make sure I know what's going on in the world of sports. CBS Sports HQ coverage is always focused on the game. Tons of highlights, breaking news as it happens, fantasy advice, and something we care deeply about here gambling picks and analysis to get that extra edge. I know when I turn on CBS Sports HQ, I'll see the tips and trends I need to win my bets. And don't forget, you can get access to all this great coverage completely free. I don't mean free for a week or a month, or if you have some special cable package, it's totally completely free for everybody. You don't even need a login. Just download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV, or other connected device at any time to watch CBS Sports HQ. No fake debates, just sports for the real sports fans at the great price of completely free. You don't even have to log on or sign up for anything. Download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. Did you know that as many as 7 out of 10 adults wish they played a musical instrument? I'm one of them. Unfortunately, many never do because they think it's too late for them to start, too expensive, or feel they don't have time. Yousician is an online music education platform rethinking the way people learn music. It's the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, even singing. Just download the app to your desktop tablet, or phone, and start playing. Musicians award-winning technology actually listens to you play and gives real-time feedback on timing and accuracy. No need for chords or any special equipment. With musician you learn to play your favorite songs faster than ever and have some fun doing it. Musician is perfect when you're just starting out or have been playing for years. You enjoy thousands of popular songs, expertly crafted lessons and exercises across dozens of genres. You'll even learn music theory, sheet reading, and tablature too. Compared to private lessons, Musician is more affordable and lets you learn on your own schedule. Musician is designed to be fun and addictive, almost like Guitar Hero or Rock Band, but with real instruments. It gives you 24 7 access to step by step video tutorials from world class educators. You'll get bite sized lessons, easy to follow instructions, and exercises tailored to your goals. So if you've been wanting to learn an instrument or simply want some help getting back to playing, check out Yousician. You can get an extended 14-day free trial of their Premium Plus package at Yousician.com/play. That's unlimited lessons and unlimited songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to Yousician.com/play to start your free trial today. That's Yousician, Y O U S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash play. All right, let's talk about Brooklyn and what's going on with the Nets right now. Six and eight as we record this podcast. Uh, Not a good start, obviously, to the season. This was a team that came in with, you know, at least the same expectations of last year being a middle-of-the-pack playoff team. Maybe Kyrie gets hot. Maybe they get some magic happening in the postseason, but... They've struggled. They've been dealing with injuries, no question. Kyrie has been banged up recently. Uh, Karis Levert had that hand injury. He's going to be out for a little while. Um, is this a disappointing? I mean, how disappointing a start is this for Brooklyn? There's been obviously the the Jackie McMullen piece on you know Kyrie already causing some a couple of headaches there early, or at least some consternation within the organization. If you look at some of the numbers. Uh, for how much this team passes, uh, I was reading this story in the Daily News recently. The Nets last year ninth in the NBA in passes. This year they're twenty seventh in the league in passes, uh, and a lot of that's chalked up to Kyrie and, and how he plays,
5: how he plays the game. What are your early thoughts on what you've seen out of Brooklyn? It doesn't really surprise me. Um, I think just you know looking at, and not to be overly critical of Kyrie, uh, but it's not like he has you know gone everywhere and brought instant success with him. Uh, it's something that's taken time. Um, and knowing that this year is sort of going to be, you know, the absence of, of Durant, uh, knowing that, you know, last year the Nets were solid, they were plucky, uh, but it wasn't like they were world beaters either, right? So the fact they're 6-8 and eight right now, I mean, they're they're banged up, which is not good, but you know, they're around 500, I think reasonably that's probably where I thought they were going to be coming into the year. Uh, just looking at their personnel, I, I think the bigger concern has just been that the parts haven't fit great immediately like you know, out of the gate and the ball has been sticking a bit. Uh, I, I don't know. You, there's probably a move they're gonna have to make. Um but I, I think at some point the focus will be on, you know, how do we position ourselves for you know, when Durant is back, how do we keep developing these young guys and make sure that this is a good environment for them and I you know, I, I don't think it's like an abject disaster if the Nets miss the playoffs this year. Um but that, that's my opinion. Like no, I, I I don't know what the expectations yeah, I mean, really look, were, right?
4: I don't look I don't think it's a disaster yet either because we're not hearing specifics about any kind of infighting. There's not any Karis Levert doesn't want to play with Kyrie Irving, Spencer and Dinwiddie, who Kyrie's close with. We aren't hearing that he doesn't want to play with Kyrie Irving. We're not hearing any of the really bad stuff that we kinda of got wind of in Boston last year and then when Kyrie left, some of the floodgates kind of opened on just how bad it was with Kyrie and the Celtics. I have long said Jeremy that nothing that happens this year matters. You know, as long as this team isn't the equivalent of the basketball Hindenburg, it, none of this is an issue. Like as long as they entered this off season liking each other and sort of knowing how to play together, it, it's okay because you've got a former MVP still in his prime sitting on the bench, ready to return for the 2020, 2021 season. So, you're going to play differently anyway next year. It's going to be a totally different looking team next year when Kevin Durant comes back into the mix. So, as long as this team gets along, and look, it's still very early. And if this thing really starts to go south, if they go well under 500, maybe some of that infighting starts. Maybe Kenny Atkinson, you know, has some issues there. I don't know. But even if they just finish 500 and get beat in the first round of the playoffs, as long as they like each other, none of it matters. Not a single part of it. You can. You can be as bad at basketball as you want, as long as the locker room is healthy, everything's good. Everything is okay because of what's coming back guaranteed in
5: twenty twenty. absolutely. I would say the one thing that does concern me having you know gone to see the nets a few times now is just that you know how little DeAndre Jordan seems to have in the tank. <laughs> like I, th- that's the one long term concern that I think we can take away from this, just how much money they're paying him, uh you know, just as a sum. Uh, for the next four years Uh, and uh, I mean it's four seasons it's not like this is a two-year front loaded deal it's a a four-year deal Uh, you know he's gonna (laughs) more or less be here he's not gonna have a ton of trade value uh, until that you know gets to the back end of that deal and he's here because you know Durant and Kyrie want him here so you know their hands are a little bit tied there I would like to see them just let Jared Allen play more just play Jordan less like try to save his body to see if he gives you something next year. Uh, But that is one concern, if there is a concern. It's it's just that that is somebody they paid to be part of this championship, theoretically championship contending roster.
4: Yeah, De- I mean, I'd be... Look, DeAndre Jordan is... It is what it is. He yeah. was part of the package of Durant and Kyrie, and like, they're all friends, and they all want to play together, so here he is. Fortunately for the Nets, you still got Jared Allen there. He's going to be your big man in most of the key minutes, so even if DeAndre continues to regress it's just like a sunken cost, right? Like on that team, like you just got to kind of deal with it and, and move forward. So I, I think that's, that's fine, but we'll see. I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, it's going to be fun watching their game in Boston on Wednesday. If Kyrie's playing like that's, I mean, God, that's going to be as hostile an environment as, as you're going to see given how the Celtics are playing and uh, you know, what, what happened with Kyrie last year, but that, that'll that be to me a really interesting test for for that team going up against Celtics. And and let's talk about the Celtics for a minute here because, you know, they lose Kyrie in the offseason. They're replacing with Kemba Walker. Uh, They had to shake up their front court to get Kemba. That means no Aaron Baines who went to Phoenix, no Al Horford who's in Philadelphia. But the Celtics are playing good basketball. They're 2-2 and on this recent road trip. They had a tough loss in uh, in L.A. against the Clippers, but a lot of people, you know, took a lot of positives away from the Celtics on that one. Um, You know, with the way that uh, that Boston played and, and how hard they played against, in the first game with uh, Kawhi and Paul George back. I mean, what what are your thoughts on the Celtics and how they played this season? And are they a legitimate contender to win the Eastern Conference?
5: I, I, I've kind of felt like they're they're a player away from, from really seriously contending, but this is obviously a, a, amazing, about as well as you could have imagined things going for them, right? I mean, the fact that Hayward has been good, uh, you know, Maybe mitigate some of that concern. Um, yeah, I, I didn't expect him to be out of the gate this great. Like I, you know, I knew Kemba would be a net positive. You know, he good good players tend to figure it out. Um, you know, despite the fact he doesn't have a, a great, you know, any one great pick and roll. You know, guy to work with up front. He's 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 made it work, and guys like playing with Kemba. Um, Marcus Smart has been great. Like I've, enjoyed, I'm happy for him. You know, he's really gotten a chance to. You know, with other guys being banged up, he's been great. Um, so I, I think last year you know, they, they really got a chance to, I, I think especially with, with it being a younger team, having had the lows of last year and now understanding what it's going to take to win together, I think that was probably a valuable experience for them in the end, right? So uh, I, I'm enthused for sure about Boston, especially with, with the, the absence of a great you know, team in the East. I mean, you know Philly is you know going to be Philly, and Toronto has been better than people expect. But yeah, I mean, I think they, you do have to take them seriously, and I, I don't know what they can do to, to augment this group, um, but at the same time, I think they do have the, sort of the core pieces they need as long as these young guys keep to you know keep getting better.
4: Yeah, I, I'm impressed with how, the, how fast they've started the season. Um, you know, Kemba is just a a different locker room guy than Kyrie. He's probably as easy a guy to get along with. As you're gonna find in the league, you know, people outside the organization, everyone outside the organization loves him, and he's really fitting well. I mean, he he came into the Celtics situation with no desire to be this high usage rate, high volume scorer that he was in Charlotte. In fact, he wanted the exact opposite. He embraced, you know, being kind of part of a team that had offensive options. He told me early in the preseason that, look, it's it's part of my job to make sure that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown take their games to the next level. Now Tatum has been kind of hot and cold early on, but I think Jalen Brown has been excellent. A lot of people looked at that contract and said that's that's too much money for Jalen Brown, but he's lived up to it. And, you know, if he had hit free agency, if this continues, and he had hit free agency next summer, he would have gotten probably more than that than what he got from the Celtics on that new deal. So everything's sort of trending in the right direction. The front court, to me, remains the biggest issue. I mean, they've gotten enough production defensively, out of the combination of Daniel Tice and Grant Williams, the rookie who's been really good and Ennis Cantor with Robert Williams kind of mixed in as well. But I just don't know if you can be a top tier defensive team with that mix in the front court. It's not look, I think Grant Williams is on his way to being a really good player, but he's a rookie. I think Tice is a really good player, but undersized for the center position. And, and I don't think he's necessarily a starter on a really good team. Uh, Williams is too hot and cold for me. And, you know, Cantor, we know. Like, really good offensive player, uh, really good rebounder, but defensively has serious limitations. So I think it's going to have to come via trade if they find a a way to upgrade there. I mean, I think if you talk to people inside the organization, they would tell you they'd love to make some kind of deal with Daniel Tice and draft picks to get themselves a big man. They still have a pretty decent-sized war chest of picks in the next couple of years to, to make a deal on. I don't know if that gets you anything, though. I'm not sure what how that that really moves the needle with a significant player. They don't want to break up their core. You mentioned Marcus Smart; he's having another kind of defensive Player of the Year esque type season, and you know his three point shooting has gotten a little bit better as well. But I, I, if you can't find a, a fit for you know the Tice Robert Williams draft pick kind of mix, I'm not sure you get better. So unless somebody hits somebody a big man like a Marcus All or somebody hits the buyout market. I think they'll still be on the tier below Philadelphia, which I think is going to be fine, and and Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference.
5: Yeah, yeah, I think I think the buyout market would be, you know, they would hope to find someone there, but, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's going to be a tricky, just as, as their team is constructed, uh, you know, finding something meaningful, you know, at center, uh, is, is going to be a challenge. You know, they're going to have to keep mixing and matching. They're going to have to hope Robert Williams, I think, gives them more. Um, but but you know they have enough that it's working right now. But yeah, in in the playoffs, you know, to win that way, you know, they need. You're right. They need to have a better defense, pants, I think that's spot on. Um, and yeah, I mean, Smart has the the deal that is the most probably the most movable, and he's appealing. But also, I don't think you can trade him. I just think he means too much to this group. So, uh, it's gonna be interesting to see. You know what they can. It, it, this might be the year that we have to really dangle those picks.
4: Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I mean, there are some people. Um, in Boston that still want them to hold on to these draft picks. Screw that, man. Like, if you're the Celtics, you've got to recognize that there's a window here. There is not a dominant team. Yes, the Clippers are really good, but I don't think they're Golden State Warriors good. I don't even think they're Cleveland Cavaliers at their peak good. I think they're beatable. I think everybody in the Eastern Conference with the right mix is beatable. So if you're the Celtics and you can see a... A needle-moving player on the market that you can get without, you know, breaking up their core. And I consider Marcus a very big part of their core now. Maybe a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. you would have moved him in the right deal, but this guy is, you know, quite literally the heart and soul of that team. Like he is, he is just too valuable. I think on both ends and in the locker room to just give away for a guy that might beef up your front court for a year or two. Uh, But if you can find that guy without giving him up, you you got to do that. you got to make a move. Even if it means like that Memphis pick is the biggest draft pick that they have, right? But the Grizzlies aren't as bad as some people thought they were going to be entering this season. So who knows what the value of that pick is going to be over the next year or two. So if there's a needle-moving player, I would give up pretty much any draft pick they have left to go and get him because you add the right piece to that mix and all of a sudden you become a legitimate threat to win a championship, don't you? I mean, they're I think they're one piece away from being a real threat to win a, t- win a title.
5: Yeah, I, I think it's it's absolutely worth you know, especially going into this year's draft uh which is you know may not be the you know the one, you know next year is going to be better. The year after that's probably going to be better. If if if, if it's going to convey this year which it could. Um I don't know if it will, but you know this might be the time to to move it. Um But yeah, I think there's something to be said for this has to be a little bit vindicating for them, you know, having kind of kept kept these, you know, assets or whatever, and they've been mocked a little bit for holding on to all the stuff. And then, you know, now uh, they're still in a pretty good position after all. So this this now might be the time uh, where you really think about it if uh, things continue kind of turning the right way. And I I think with you know with Kemba, you know, and and a team built to you know around him that doesn't give him put all the pressure on him, but knowing you have him, you can go to late in the playoff game, knowing that you have Tatum who can create his own shot. I mean, it's it's a pretty Good situation to be in and you know I mean if I had to bet they're probably still too young to you know make the leap as a group um, but I, but I also I just think there's there's value to be had just putting you know Tatum and Brown in that type of environment early in their career you know if they, if they do make a run to the finals I think that's whether they win or lose that's going to be really valuable for those guys
4: yeah I'm still waiting for that that big Tatum stretch he hasn't really had that yet where you know, he he puts up these video game-like numbers over a 10 or 15-game span, but I do think it's in him. Like, I, I just, he's so talented offensively, and sometimes you see him takes those long two-pointers, which I know drive people in Boston crazy, but, I mean, this guy is, is an elite scorer, or at least has elite scoring potential, and I'm waiting for him to kind of break out. If he does that, I think that's going to put the Celtics with that other piece right there in, in full-blown contention uh, for a championship. All right, before I let you go, uh, speaking of the draft, and I guess speaking of Memphis, uh, James Wiseman, the big man down at the University of Memphis, uh, the NCAA is ruling on him, uh, 12 games, he has to donate $11,500 to his favorite charity, which is you know pretty dumb, I think, but the, not the charity idea, but making this kid pay back $11,500, I think that's a little, little weird. Uh, this is a kid that is looked at as one of the top picks in the 2020 NBA draft I mean what's what's been the NBA reaction to James Wiseman's suspension and does this have any impact do you think on on where he might fall in the draft order
5: yeah I think mostly it's just been a lot of eye rolling and we don't have to get into the whole NCAA stuff um, <laughs> but uh, you know as as far as the draft and, and his his stock or so to speak I, I don't think it's a huge driver either way uh, you know we've seen guys play less and be fine uh, you know mystery sometimes helps guys in the draft you know these are things that we we know and these have been con- you know consistent patterns over the years but uh you know it's good for him i think being able to play in his situation should help him uh you know, he was off to a pretty good start he had been playing hard uh, he'd been producing um i i think it's a pretty safe bet he's a top 5 pick i don't know if he ends up going one personally i don't know if i would do it one um uh, and, you know, there's a whole debate about, you know, how much do you want to pay your center? You know, what type of financial commitment do you want to make that high in the draft? But, uh, you know, he, ha- he has the physical tools to be a very, very productive player in the NBA. Um, and, you know, teams are just going to have to ask themselves, you know, in, in a draft like this where the, the talent level is a little bit flatter, uh, it, it does come down sort of more to need and, you know, who who really needs a center right now, right? So uh, these are all things that are out of his control. Um, all he can really do is, is, is play and produce, and I think that, you know Memphis did a good job so far. You know putting him in position to do that. So I, I would expect him to come back. Yeah, uh, you know, they don't play in a great conference. I would expect him to put up really big numbers. Um, and I think you know he'll be one of the first five players drafted. And I don't. It's it's a pretty lukewarm take, but uh, that's probably what's going to happen. So.
4: Is there a is there a comparable to to him at this point in the NBA? I mean, is there? When you look at Wiseman's game seven one, but about two forty. Who does he play like in the NBA?
5: Yeah, it's funny. Like he he kind of, and this is sort of the, the question uh, and sort of the central concern I think a lot of teams have, uh, you know, he he envisions himself as sort of a, you know, he, he calls himself a unicorn. You know, he wants to be, or or, or at least the, the narrative around him has been, you know, he wants to be, um, you know, a guy who creates his own shot, who catches, who faces up, who sort of, you know, does these matchup nightmare type things that we've seen, you know, some only the best bigs, but a lot of you know the best players in the NBA have been able to do. Uh, you know, Wiseman is not Joel Embiid. He does not have the back to the basket game. He's he's not walking into the NBA with a, a great offensive skill set. It's not, that's just not going to be the case. Uh, you know, he's a guy who you're going to have to refine over time. Um, get you know get his jump shot. Uh, you know whether it becomes a part of his game or not. Um, but but I do think worst case, if you make a comparison, I mean, I think he'll be able to. Definitely succeed in a Clint Capella type role. He kind of reminds you physically, sort of like a young Dwight Howard in terms of his body. Uh, you know, he really has is blessed with whatever physical tools you can have to play center. I mean, uh, he's added good weight. You know, he's done a good job of of you know working on the frame. Uh, so I think the production will. I, I think now that I think you can you've come to be able to count on him competing and playing hard. And you know, he's a good rebounder. He's got reach. Uh, you know, I, I think the production will be there. But again, it's just going to come down to. You know, how, how how much stock do you put in, you know, having a center who can do those things? You know, can you find a center for replacement value uh, who does some of the same things uh, for less money? Uh, and it's a structural issue that, again, has been a philosophical debate around the NBA. So uh, someone will do it and someone will feel, you know, happy about it when he's putting up numbers for them. But at the same time, um, you know, it asks bigger questions about how you want to build a team.
4: I love that we're already, you know, getting reports that, James Weissman cannot crowdsource his uh, <laughs> his fine or his, the money family he and his family have to pay back. I think was not Jay Williams kind of suggest that he did that, and uh, I saw some report that he can't do that. I mean, that's just bonkers. Like pay back eleven thousand five hundred dollars, and meanwhile, Penny Hardaway doesn't. Nothing happens to him. Uh, you know that he was the one that helped that paid that money to help him move at that time I mean the NCAA just continues to be the gang that can't shoot straight like they, they really <laughs> are it's just wild yeah. watching them operate yeah it's backwards oh, man, it's crazy. backwards uh, Jeremy always appreciate it man good stuff and uh, thanks for joining me we'll catch up down the road alright man I'll catch you later
0: start listening.